from RTE Brainstorm. What's behind the Irish obsession with death and misery? This is an extract from Gillian O'Brien's new book, The Darkness Echoing, exploring Ireland's places of famine, death and rebellion. The Darkness Echoing explores the strange allure of Ireland's troubled history and tries to explain the Irish obsession with death and misery. Is it the incessantly gloomy weather? Or does it have something to do with the national character, whatever that is? Undoubtedly, Mrs Doyle from Father Ted spoke for vast swathes of Irish people when, disgusted by the tea master salesman, who assured her that his contraption took the misery out of making tea, she retorted, Maybe I like the misery. Heinrich Boll, a German writer and winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature, spent much of the 50s and 60s living on Ackill Island, off the coast of Mayo. In his Irish journal, he recounted a conversation with a man he met in a pub who asked him if he thought the Irish were a happy people. I think, I said, that you are happier than you know, and if you knew how happy you are, you'd find a reason for being unhappy. You have many reasons for being unhappy, but you also love the poetry of unhappiness. Maybe we do love the poetry of unhappiness, but I think it's more than that. The inclination to see shadows, not the sun, is rooted in a bleak past. There's no escaping the fact that Irish history is full of darkness, and perhaps it's this history which encourages a fascination with the morbid, the melancholic, the miserable, the maudlin. So many M-words. These M's are the oxygen of conversation among the Irish. What else would we talk about? I'm sure I'm not the only one for whom every phone call home invariably features the discussion about the weather, illnesses in the parish, the ridiculous price of houses, inept politicians and the appalling state of the health service. But if we took out all the melancholia, how would we navigate conversations with friends, family and strangers? There'd be long silences and there's nothing the Irish fear more than silence. Misery provides our conversational staging posts, our pillars of chat. To some extent, we revel in the wretchedness. As Bull suggested, we delight in black humour and take pleasure in the laughter that often comes as a side order with grief. The Irish do have a perverse attraction to nurturing their injuries. We don't need to have experienced terrible events. We just need to have heard about them, to have absorbed some of the outrage from the past by osmosis. The travel writer H.V. Morton was near the mark when he visited Ireland in the late 20s and observed, The Irish are, of course, sometimes unfair, which I think proceeds from the fact that they possess no sense of historical perspective. Even educated Irishmen will talk about Cromwell's campaign as though it was the work of the present British government. A wrong has never died in Ireland. Every injustice inflicted on Ireland since the time of Strongbow is as real as last year's budget. And it's certainly true 
As Professor Liam Kennedy has written that the motif of victimhood bulks large in Irish national self-consciousness. We've played the mope card many times. In fact, we have, if not a whole deck of cards, at least a hand in which the famine serves as our trump. And though we're not the most oppressed people ever, much of the history of Ireland is indeed traumatic. Like the Sacred Heart hung over the mantelpiece, Irish history is an open wound, an object of veneration proudly on display to all comers. And this is reflected in the stories we tell ourselves, not just when sitting in pubs and cafes, but also at times in our museums, at our heritage sites and in the pages of our history books. They are powerful tales with a strong narrative arc. First, suffering, a lot of suffering, then, hopefully, redemption. Like many countries, Ireland has been anthropomorphised, depending on the political purpose, into several different versions of womanhood. In poetry, stories, art, sculpture and song, the country is portrayed as everything from an idealised young woman to a shrill old hag. Hibernia is beautiful, noble and steadfast, often accompanied by her harp and her wolfhound. But throughout the 19th century, she was often the injured lady, depicted in chains, an abused and traumatised woman, in many ways an accurate representation of the way real women were treated in Ireland, both before and after independence. And while it's sweeping to sum up a nation in the body of one fictional woman, there is something in the idea of Ireland as a traumatised nation. Colonisation was a national trauma and its effects on the body politic is not dissimilar to that on traumatised individuals. Clinical psychiatrist Judith Herman has argued that, like traumatised individuals, traumatised countries need to remember, grieve and atone for their wrongs in order to avoid reliving them. And there is certainly a tendency in Ireland to continually pick at scabs. At the same time, repeatedly reopening old wounds leaves little space to consider the ones we might have inflicted on ourselves or others. But the way in which our history has been taught, formally and informally, for nearly two centuries, has meant that the past, a past where the Irish are always victims, is almost always very present. Based on a piece for RTE Brainstorm by Gillian O'Brien from Liverpool John Moores University and the Irish Research Council. The Darkness Echoing, exploring Ireland's places of famine, death and rebellion is published by Doubleday Ireland. I'm Paul Moriarty. Discover more at rte.ie forward slash brainstorm.